You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shattered State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. Things are going to look a little bit different here tonight. Um, and it's going to be different here on out. Um, we've began to set the process of, of we're no longer doing things just to do things. We got together with the leaders, the staff, um, and small group leaders, and we got together and we just started brainstorming. We were talking about, you know, we're tired of, of just being what we are. We need to begin the process of expanding out and reaching out. Um, we haven't, there's, there hasn't been somebody saved in Chi Alpha for a few months, and that's the first time in the history of my experience with Chi Alpha, we've gone that long without having somebody's life radically changed for Christ. And so we're just kind of tired of doing things just to do them for the sake of doing them because we've always done them. And so we began to try to, to change up the way we do services and the way that we um, present the gospel and also at the same time just um, changing up the way that we finish out services. And so the service is going to look a little bit different, but just kind of giving you guys a heads up um, for that, so it doesn't catch you off guard, because I know people get comfortable, and they, they start to feel comfortable with the way things run, and I don't care about your comfortable comfortability. Um, I strive to make you as uncomfortable as possible, because Christ never once came to the disciples and said, hey, my job here on earth is to make sure you're as comfortable as you can possibly be during your time in this world. In fact, Christ said almost the exact opposite. And he said, you will be persecuted. You will be come against. People are going to hate you because they hated me. And so if, if you're comfortable, then possibly you got it all wrong. And so my goal then is to make you as uncomfortable as Christ made the disciples. It's just kind of the way it goes. And so... Um, in order to, to get this ministry to grow, we as a body are going to have to get uncomfortable with our faith. It can't just be a select few. We as a body have to get uncomfortable. We as a body have to get uncomfortable. It, the, the, Jesus's ministry here on earth wouldn't have continued if just one disciple was like, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what Jesus told us to do. And the rest of the disciples were like, oh, no, we got a ticket into heaven. We're good. We're just going to sit here in this church and uh, eat food and multiply the food over and over again so we don't have to do anything. Like, the ministry that Jesus set up on earth was crucial that the disciples actually did what Jesus asked them to do. Which, ironically, the first thing he asked them to do was to wait Jesus actually had to tell them to wait to go out and get uncomfortable, that they needed the Holy Spirit first. So let's get this service going. When I was in seventh grade, I was introduced to football. Now, you guys know me. I absolutely love football. How many of you guys like football in here? A couple of you guys. <clears throat> I love football the way a lot of, like, the rest of the world loves soccer. Um, I absolutely love football. I could, if I, if I had my choice, I could totally just watch football all day, every day, and I'd be per- perfectly content. When I was in seventh grade, I was introduced to football. But it wasn't an instant love. It wasn't like instantly, as soon as I got introduced to football, playing football specifically, 
I was watching football prior to this. It's not like the first time I got introduced to football and was playing football that I was immediately hooked. In fact, when I first started playing football in seventh grade, I absolutely hated football. In fact, after the very first practice, I got home and I went up to my parents and I asked them if I could quit. My parents said, you don't even know if you like it yet. And I said, oh, no, I know. I know I don't like it. This sucks. I don't want to be involved in this. I want to quit. They were like, all right, give it at least a few more days. So I gave it a few more days, and I still hated football. All we did was ran laps and did stuff that was cardiovascular, and I absolutely hated it at that age. I was like, this isn't what you see on TV. I pictured football as us just hitting each other all day. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And my parents were like, I just... All right, here's what the deal is. You have to play because you started the season. Once you finish the season, if you never want to go out for football again, that's fine. And I was like, all right. So I continued to go to football, and I continued to hate it. But those of you guys that have ever played a sport before know that the first two weeks of practice suck because all you were doing is everything that you don't want to do in order to get you to a point where you're in shape enough to actually participate in the sport. It doesn't matter what sport it is, football, basketball, the first two weeks are just grueling. On the Monday after the, the first two weeks is up, we're going through practice the same as always, and I was just like, this is ridiculous. This is the third week of practice, and I still hate this. And then right about half an hour before practice normally got over with, coaches scream out, all right, I need one line of people over here. I need another line of people over here facing each other. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be doing a, a drill we call train wrecks. What you're going to do is one of you guys is going to lay down on the ground on this side. One of you guys is going to lay down on the ground on this side. We're going to put a football right in the middle. The people on this side, your job is to get to the football. The people on this side, your job is to prevent them from getting to the football. Ready? And then they blew the whistle. I jumped in right off the bat because I was like, all right, an opportunity to hit people. This is what I signed up for. So I jumped in on the defensive side, <clears throat> and immediately your heart starts pumping. And you're just like, you don't know what to expect. You're just, you're excited. You've never done this drill before. You've never really hit somebody with pads on before. You're just excited. And then you lay down, and you're looking up at the sky, and your helmets are touching. And everybody's loud and obnoxious, but all of a sudden, the noise just starts to fade away. And all you can see is the, the, the daylight on top of you, the sun, the sky, the blue sky, and you're just laying there for a second. Your heart's pumping. Your adrenaline starts to peak. You're just ready to go. And the second they blow that whistle, that's the only thing you hear. You don't hear people cheering. You don't hear people yelling. You just hear the whistle blow. That whistle blows, and all of a sudden, both people get up, and I just slam into this dude, and I knock him. I, he's gone. And I grab and I smack the football. And then I just hear, good night, Tanner. And then get to the end of the line because I was just standing there for too long. Get to the end of the line. So I go back to the end of the line. We go through this drill twice. And immediately, that moment, from that moment on, football was my sport. I absolutely loved this sport. As I continue on with football, eventually I play high school football. Eventually I get academic all-state. I get... Uh, trophies, medals, all those other things. And then eventually I get an opportunity to play Division I football at Colorado State. All of that came down to those first three weeks. All of my career with football came back down, if you break it down to those first three weeks. 
Those first three weeks were absolutely pivotal at starting me in the process of future football player. But what would have happened if when it was tough, when it was hard, when I didn't enjoy it, if my parents would have just been like, all right, go ahead, quit? Who knows? I'd have never fallen in love with this sport. I'd never enjoyed this sport. Who knows if I'd be where I'm at today, even here at Shadron, just because the whole reason I went to the school I went to originally was because of football, which then eventually led me here to Shadron. My entire life was changed because of football. What would it have looked like without it? So then the whole point is sometimes we don't get the bigger picture when things are tough. If during those first two weeks, if you just said, hey, if you stick through this, you're eventually going to be a Division I football player. You're eventually going to achieve these dreams of yours. You're eventually going to grow to love this sport and enjoy this sport. If you just showed me that picture during those first two weeks, it would have made everything all different, right? It would have probably made it feel a lot more worth it. But the problem is we don't get to see the picture of the future. We just get to experience the hardship sometimes. Sometimes we don't know what's coming at the end of those hardships. We just know things are tough sometimes. Sometimes things don't make sense. We don't get this pretty picture at the end of the the rainbow that says, your life's journey will do this, and you'll have reached 15 million people for Christ, and 4,000 people would have become healed because of you, Um, this and this and this. Like, you don't get this picture. You just get to experience the hardships sometimes. But the thing is, if our coach hadn't sent us through those, those first two weeks of practice, and we'd have just lined up to hit each other right off the bat, there would have been 10 injuries right off the bat. My career in football could have been ended before it even began because we didn't condition. So the coach knew exactly what was going on. He knew the future plans. He knew the way things were going to go. But us as athletes, brand-new athletes, had no clue. We hadn't even heard the term two-a-days or uh, the first two weeks of practice yet. We just knew we were there experiencing hell. And we continue to push on, and eventually it was all worth it. That story has absolutely nothing about football. It's mostly just to paint a picture of how important it is for us to not focus on our circumstances in order to see the outcome, in order for it to be worth it. We don't need to see the final picture in order to be able to go through what we have to go through, in order to be refined by Christ. In Scripture, there was a guy whose name was Saul. Saul was the bad of the bad dudes. He was a rough, rough guy. He was one of the leaders in the Jewish prosecution. He was one of the people who was actually in charge and was responsible for killing Christians. He was also in charge for jailing literally anyone who even claimed that they were a follower of Jesus. If you claimed you followed Jesus, you couldn't escape this dude's grasp. Like, he was coming for you. You were a goal. You were an object for him to, to, in order to persecute the early Christians. If you could compare him to anybody who exists today, you would probably pick someone like a head honcho, one of the leaders in ISIS. Like, one of the leaders in Guantanamo Bay. Like, that's how big of a bad dude this was. This guy was. This guy was a bad of bads. This dude was rough. So if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Acts 9, we're going to be there quite heavily today. 
Acts 9, starting in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Same Saul I just described. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come to his place and lay his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. See, Ananias knew exactly who Saul was. So this was a a day and age when Facebook and cable and and newspapers weren't exactly uh, available. Obviously, they didn't exist for another 2,000 years, what newspapers did. And so this dude was so bad that everybody around already knew who he was. They knew his name. You know that's a bad guy when everybody knows your name and and there's no technology to, to spread this information. It's word of mouth. People are talking about how bad this dude is. They're saying, hey, hey, brother Christian, Phil, there's this guy named Saul. you got to watch out for him. He is killing Christians. He is throwing people in jail. If you come across a dude named Saul, just take off immediately. Don't say you're a follower of Christ. Just turn around and leave because this dude is going to kill you. Like that's how this message spread. And Ananias knew exactly who he was. And so when God says, hey, I need you to go and do this for me, I need you to go and talk to this guy named Saul, Ananias is like, hey, uh, are you sure about that? I've heard about this guy. I've been warned about this guy. Why do you want me to go and share? Why do you want me to go and talk, to about, talk about this guy? Why do you want me to go and pray blessings over him? Why do you want me to pray and go heal him? He's, those are just the thoughts I can imagine were going through Ananias' brain. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias isn't even really getting a big picture. All he knows is that he's supposed to go and do something because God showed him showed this guy named Saul a vision of him coming and laying hands and praying for him. If I could think of a picture of our faith and and what it should look like as Christians, this is exactly it. This is representative of what God sometimes asks us to do. The only difference is we luckily live in a country in which our lives aren't on the line with who we're sharing the gospel with. But this is a picture because God gave him a little piece. He said, hey, here's the situation. Here's the lowdown. I need you to go do this. And Ananias is like, that doesn't sound like such a good idea. And God's like, seriously, go do this now. I need you to go do this. This guy's important. This person is important to me. This guy is important to what I want to do on, on earth. And Ananias had the response. He can either say, okay, God, I will do what you've asked me to do. Or he could not do it. Ananias had a choice. 
Yes, God, I will do exactly what you've asked me to do, even though my life could be on the line, even though this dude is a bad dude, even though everything in this entire world tells me not to do what you're asking me to do, I will go do it, God, because you asked me. I could tell you what my first response would have been if I was Ananias. I wouldn't have been as willing as Ananias was. I like to think that if I lived back then and I was Ananias, that I'd have done the same thing. I'd have been like, all right, let's do this. But in reality, like, I know the way I respond when God just asked me to go and talk to somebody. God's like, hey, I need you to go and pray for that person. I'm like, how about you give me a sign first? And so I can imagine how intimidating it can be for you guys to think about being in this situation. Because I know I'd have probably tried to cast out a demon first just to make sure there was no enemy messing with my brain. I'd be like, Satan, get out of my brain. All right, God, are you still talking to me? Yeah, oh, you still need me to go talk to Ananias? All right, I suppose. Like, it wouldn't have been as, as simple as this puts it. And so I'm glad that Ananias was the one who was here and not me because it might have came out a little bit differently. Continue, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after some food, he regained his strength. Like this situation as it plays out, Saul's getting wrecked by God. Ananias is just being obedient to what God is asking him to do. But could you imagine how much of a faith boost this was to Ananias? Ananias hears that he needs to go and pray for this guy named Saul, a murderer named Saul. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go do it. And he goes and does it. And boom, this dude's life is radically changed. This is one of those moments in Ananias' life where he can look back on it and he can say, like, dude, this was a moment where God moved, I responded, and lives were changed. Whenever he needs a little bit of confidence in order to do what God's asking him to do, he can look back and be like, God brought me through this. He didn't kill me. Now, he might, you know, if you're a martyr for Christ, it's a little different story, but this is a situation in which he can look back on and have faith. He can look back on and he can say, God has a purpose. And if God is asking me to do something, then there's got to be a reason. It's not just in vain. When God asks us to do something, it's not just for our own benefit sometimes. The reason God asked Ananias to do this was because Saul was waiting for him. God had already talked to Saul. God had already visited with Saul. God wanted Ananias to be a part of this. Saul's future was dependent upon Ananias acting. Because God wants us to be a part of his big picture. Could God have just healed him right then and there? Yeah. But then Ananias wouldn't have this faith booster either. So what's the more what's the the background behind this story? What's behind this scene that we're seeing? What took place prior to this? How did Saul get to where he is? A lot of you guys know already how Saul got there, but 
I wanted to, to share this in a way that showed you that Ananias, so you know right now, the scripture that I've, ser- or that I've, I've shared with you guys is exactly what Ananias knew. He didn't get the background history. He didn't go to Wikipedia and figure out what the history is. He just knew what God asked him to do. And so let's go back and let's look at the rest of the story. Let's figure out what led to this point in order to see what God was doing behind the scenes even before he asked Ananias to do something. So let's skip backwards to verse 3. Acts 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This is Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Man, if that's, if that's not something to, to, to wake you up a little bit in your, your, uh, your actions, I don't know what else could be. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Saul knew exactly who it was. Who are you, Lord? Saul knew. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The man traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard a sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes... He could see nothing. So they led him by hand to Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. See, Ananias knew what God did. And the way that Saul responded to what God did, Ananias would have had no reservations to go and do what God was asking him to do. If Ananias had already seen the big picture... Ananias would have never said, hey, God, saw this guy that, you know, is going around murdering people. That's who you want me to go and witness to? Uh, You've been like, all right, sweet. I heard that you did this sweet thing on the road, and I heard he's ready to repent. Let's go do this. See, Ananias didn't know the big picture. And sometimes we're going through hardships. Sometimes God will ask us to do things that are difficult. And we don't get the big picture. We just know that we're going to play a piece in what God wants to do. We get to play a part in this, in this amazing, epic movie that God's playing out, and we get to be one of the parts in it. God's asking us to play a part in what he wants to do. In fact, it's, it's not even necessarily that he's asking us. He's just assuming. He wrecked your life. He saved you from hell. He's brought you in right relationship with God. It's almost like our thought process should be the least I could do is serve God when he asked me to do something. Because that's really what it comes down to. And that's my opinion. That's not God saying this. That's my opinion. Man, when God saved us, when Jesus Christ went through what he went through on the cross for me, the least I could do is respond, yes, Lord, when he asked me to do something. Sometimes I don't get the big picture. Sometimes I don't know why I'm going through the hardships that I'm going through. But I just need to know that God's got a a part 
that he wants me to play. Because God has asked us. One of the main things that God asks us, the two biggest commands that he gives us is love God and love your neighbor. And then the first command he gives us is to go out and make disciples and baptize people. It's pretty simple, right? It was a command, though. It wasn't a question. He didn't say, hey, do me a solid. Could you guys please just do me a big favor and would you please go out and make disciples for me? It was no, it was go and make disciples. It's one of the duties we have as Christians. It's not an option. It's not up to the pastor. It's not up to the small group leaders. It's not even up to the worship leaders. You, as a Christian, Christ said, go make disciples. What does that entail? What is it? What, how do you make disciples? Well, if you haven't been discipled, you need to be discipled. And then once you've been discipled, you'll have a game plan in order to go out and make disciples. But the problem is, as Christians, we get stuck in this groove, the Christian groove. Going to church on Sunday, going to small group on Monday or Thursday, depending if you're a guy or a girl. Going to Chi Alpha on Tuesday, maybe even having a one-on-one with somebody within there. We get stuck in this group and we feel like our, our, our duty as Christians is to attend church and attend Chi Alpha, attend our small group, attend whatever we need to attend. And that's our duty. That's what Jesus asked us to do. Man, we are routine with that. We're religious with that. But when it comes to doing the one thing that God has asked us, actually told us to do, we pass it on to somebody else. That's somebody who knows better about Jesus than me's job. That's somebody farther up the the food chain than me. That's somebody leading church's job. But going to church, that's that's my job. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this thing called the Christian groove. But that's not what God's saying. God's saying, Phil, I need you to go and meet a man named Saul. I need you to do this for me, man. I'm not going to tell you all the picture. I'm not going to tell you what he's been through. I'm just going to tell you, dude, he's had a dream. Go and talk to him. Don A., I need you to go and meet a man who is known for murdering Christians. I need you to go and do this for me. This guy who is a bad dude, I need you to go and pray for healing over him. I need you to do this for me. Bryson, I need you to go to the house on Judas of Judas on Straight Street, and I need you to ask for a man named Tarsus. I need you to do this for me. Because God, what God's saying is, I know what I'm asking you to do seems impossible. I know what I'm asking you to do is hard. I know what I'm asking you to do is difficult. 
and it is outside your comfort zone, and it's not exactly what you would characterize how you would behave. I know it's outside of, of your personality type, but I'm asking you to do it anyway. Because oftentimes God will ask us to do things that cannot be done by human hands alone. I love it when God has me do something that if it were up to my human ability, I would fall flat on my face. And just as salt I just shared with you guys, God asked me to go and, and share with the speaker of the conference and share with them a word, one word. If it was up to my own abilities, it would have been like, uh, that's kind of weird, dude. Cool, let's move on. But because God had already been moving behind the scenes, God knew what he was going through. God knew what was going through his mind. That was exactly what he needed to deliver the word that God had already given him. It set forward confidence. It set forward clarity. And then, boom, lives were changed because of that sermon. Because it wasn't me. It wasn't my ability. I was just responding, yes, Lord, I'll do what you've asked me to do. And as I continue to respond, yes, Lord, I will do this. Yes, Lord, I will do this. The tasks become bigger and more out of my hands. Way more out of the realm of human ability. And I get to play a part. And I can look back at those times in which I said, yes, Lord, I'll do this. I can look back at them and boom, those are times in which I'm, I'm going through a rough patch. Times in which time, like, my relationship with God seems distant. God seems like he's so far away. I can look back and I'll be like, no, nah, there's markers. There's points in there in which God was talking to me and he was asking me to do something and I went and did it. I can, I can get through this hardship right now. I can get past this car accident. I can get past this death in my family. I can get past this emotional moment. Because we can begin to recognize how big and majestic God is. This isn't in my sermon, but I just feel really pressed to, to talk about it. Before service, my niece, uh, Acacia, sent me a Facebook message. How old do you say Acacia is? 12? If even that? 13? My sister's daughter sent me a message and uh, 13 years old, her best friend committed suicide. 13 years old. He hung himself. There are people hurting. Like I can't even fathom hurting. At 13 years old, I was worried about video games and, and going out sledding in the wintertime. I know what depression's like. I know what it feels like to go through that. But at 13 years old, I can't even imagine. But the thing is, it's, it's not some distance thing that happened. There's been suicides here on campus within the last year. We had a former student. He wasn't a former student when it happened, but committed suicide just this last summer. And there are people hurting here. There are people hurting 
So how selfish of us to not be reaching out. How selfish of us to, to take our faith and just sit at home and, and watch Netflix instead of doing what God asks us to do. I'm not here to just beat you guys up. And so, yeah, you might be feeling convicted right now because I know I'm feeling convicted right now. But there's a bigger picture here. The bigger picture is that even though there are people who are hurting and people who are committing suicide and people whose lives just are out of control, you have the answer. You know the answer to this, the, the equation. Man, you guys have Jesus. God of the universe is having conversations with you. How awesome is that? God of the universe is calling you to do something. God of the universe has given you guys talents. Has given you guys abilities. How cool is that? Like when you go outside and you look up at the stars and you just see how magnificent and huge this galaxy is. The God who created that wants to be intimate with you and have conversations with you. The God who created all that says, hey, I want you to be a part in what I have planned. Like, think about it this way. The most important person we can think of in, in, in the world would probably usually be the president of the United States. Maybe not Trump, but usually is the president of the United States. The most powerful man in the world other than God, is the president of the United States, most people would say. So imagine if the president gave you a phone call and said, hey, I can't explain the details, but I need you to go down. I need you to go down. I need you to talk to this guy named Tarsus. I need you to do this for me. Can you do it? What would our response be? How cool that the president asked me to do something. Like, the president came to me. The president came to me and said, hey, will you do this for me? How stinking cool is that? God of the universe has done that for you. God of the universe has given you a phone call, a direct line to him, and said, hey, I want you to be contacting me. I want you to be talking to me. I want you engaged with me. And hey, every once in a while when I ask you to go do something, could you do this? How cool is that? Dude, that's so awesome. So when someone's considering suicide on this campus, and God says, hey, I need you to go to room 418 in high rise. I need you to knock on the door. I've been trying to talk to this person, and I've been showing them myself. I've, I've been visiting with them, but I need you to go and pray for them. Will you go do it for me? Our response has just got to be yes. And then we get to play a part in them figuring out who Christ is, their lives being radically changed. I'll tell you, one of the biggest influencers in my walk with God has always been those people that I've led to Christ. I can look back and I, I can't count how many there is now because there's been a lot of them, but I can remember them. I can remember the faces. I can remember engaging with Xander out in the rain and saying, dude, 
God's got something for you, man. God has got a path for you. And I can see Xander's life changed because he got to encounter God later on that month. I get to look at his face and I get to be excited all over again. How cool is that? Dude, we need to be spreading the gospel. And we need to be saying yes to God more. So I'm going to ask you some questions. These are your personal questions, and I just want you to answer them in your head. They're pretty easy questions. They're simple. Yes or no, do you want to see people come to Christ? Yes or no, do you want to see people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ the way you have? If you haven't come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, come and talk to me. I'll talk with you about it. I'd love to share with you about God about God and how amazing he is. Do you want to see this campus transformed? Are you sick of of seeing all the alcohol-related incidents on this campus and you want to see more revival incidences happening on this campus? Do you want to see your own life transformed? Are you sick of being stuck where you're at? Are you sick of the same old, same old relationship with God where you try to do good and you, you fail at doing good? And so you beat yourself up for a season and then you try to come back to Christ and then you try to do good and then you fail at being good and then so you fall away from God again. Are you tired of that same old relationship with God? There's a better way to do it. But the problem is you can't say yes to any of those questions and remain comfortable. You've got to get uncomfortable with your faith. If you're tired of the same old, same old, and you want to grow past it, you've got to get uncomfortable. If you want your life to be transformed, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. If you want to see this campus transformed, we have to get uncomfortable. You want to see people come to know Christ? You can't do it from your bedroom watching Netflix. You're going to have to get uncomfortable. Because oftentimes the biggest thing holding us back in our walk with Christ is simply just ourselves and our desire to remain comfortable. So tonight, we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. We're going to end this thing differently. We're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. And what I'm asking you to do is, is put your phones away. Put your Bibles away. I know it sounds contrary, but put your Bibles away. Anything that might distract you right now, I need you to put it away. If your friend's going to distract you, find somewhere else to sit. Pull up a piece of carpet in the back. I need to make sure you're not distracted. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to pray to God. And we're going to have some music going so you can do it out loud. Don't even do it in your head. Do it out loud. And I want you to ask him, God, I want to get out of my comfort zone. Is there anything you would like me to do? Simple as that. And then listen. And spend some time listening to God. If you don't know what God's voice is, oftentimes it, God's voice sounds like your own thoughts, but they're just not characteristic of the way you would think because they're bigger and, and outside of that. Sometimes it's a feeling that you just can't get rid of. 
God speaks to people differently, but I'm just giving you ways in which he speaks to me. Just ask him, God, I want to get out of my comfort zone. Is there anything you would like me to do? And then just listen. And we're going to spend a few minutes listening. And then if you hear God or you feel something, take a second and write it down. If you need to pull your phone out, write it down. Put your phone back away. That's fine. If you got paper, pull paper out. Write it down. Write it down. No matter what, every single one of you guys, I want to see you guys write something down. Because I want you to be able to look back on this when school starts back up tomorrow and classes come and your day gets tough. I don't want you to be able to just forget about this moment in which God interacted with you and he shared something with you. Write it down. In fact, anytime you hear something from God tangibly and you can be like, yes, I know this was God, write it down and save it. Because later on down the road, you'll come back and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember when God worked this through me. I know that everybody's got hardships. I know some of you guys are going through some stuff that is is tough. It's definitely not something that I'm just taking and I'm saying, oh, this doesn't matter. You need to grow up. That's not what I'm saying. Your hardships matter, and they're very real. And, and if you've got something that you need prayer for, you need to get in contact with me or my wife or one of the small group leaders or Matt. Man, even just shoot us a message on Facebook. Get in touch with us. We would love to join with you guys in prayer. And whatever you ask for in prayer, if it needs to remain confident, it will remain confident. And we will not judge you. I don't care what you're going through. We will not judge you. We will not condemn you. We will pray for you and we'll pray with you. And maybe even counsel you through it if you need that. If you need someone to disciple you, get in touch with us. We've got staff. We've got small group leaders. We've got people to disciple you if you've never been discipled. Uh, So what I'm saying is this sermon isn't just me taking it and I'm throwing it back in your lap and saying, you need to fix it and do something. uh, Quite the opposite. What I'm saying is, We've got an awesome program here with Chi Alpha, and we've set it up in a way that if you've never been discipled, you can be discipled. Because we want to get you built up to a point in which you can then go out and make disciples, and you can confidently go out and know how to make disciples because you've been discipled. And so I want to encourage you guys, contact one of us. If you're a guy, contact me, Matt, Phil. If you're a girl, contact one of the Courtney's. And we'll get you set up and get you discipled because we would love to take the time to disciple you guys. And so tonight, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to start finishing out differently. Instead of me just finishing with a word and saying, let's go to McDonald's and hang out. Instead, we're going to finish with worship. And we're going to begin finishing with worship every single week. So you guys can look forward to that. Thank you for what you've done in this room today. We thank you for... Uh, the fact that you've asked us to be a part of this big picture. Lord, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice you made, Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit coming to us and and continuing to talk to us and to, to help grow us closer to you. God, I pray for every single one of these students here tonight that not only would you move them to get uncomfortable with their faith? And not only would you ask them to do things outside their comfort zone to grow them as Christians, 
But Lord, I ask that you would give them peace with it. Lord, a a peace to move into the uncomfortable. God, that they would just know that it's you and they'd be at peace with that. Lord, we're believing for big things. We're believing for, for things that don't even seem possible when we look at it right now. But Lord, we know you're moving. We know you're doing some amazing things behind the scenes. We know that there are students you're talking to. We know there's people on this campus that, that you're saying, hey, somebody's going to come and talk to you. We know you're talking to the Sauls and saying, hey, somebody's on their way. And so we're believing in faith that you're already moving behind the scenes. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us and that you would give us confidence to do what you're asking us to do. And, Lord, that you would give us a drive to do what you're asking us to do. That our faith would no longer be be comfortable with it just being our faith. That it would be a faith that we needed to spread. That it would be a faith that we needed to share. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we can't wait to experience the things you have in store for us. Amen.